Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Dan and Chris. Welcome back to A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. We're two dads that are talking about our grief after we lost our sons, Jameson and Mason, and trying to help those that are dealing with grief in their own way. And I'm just kind of giving you tips and tricks of the trades that we've used over the first couple years after losing our children and letting you know that there is ways to move forward and we want to try to help out whoever we can. Today, we are talking about mental health. We're getting, we're continuing our topic from last week, kind of getting a little deeper into it, a little further along in the timeline. And, uh, but yeah, we're glad to have everyone here. Glad to have everyone from WMQL Radio in Brevard listening. Everyone that's listening on the YouTube page and our podcast, thank you. And uh, I'm looking forward to this episode and hopefully giving you some, some more mental health tips from that, that have aided us over our first two to three years of dealing with grief. So with that, I'm going to throw it right over to Dan. Dan, how's it going, bud? Morning, Chris. Good to see you, bud. Good to see you as well. So yeah, we talked a lot about mental health last week and um, some things that we did those first couple days and weeks after losing our boys. And it was hard. I mean, it was a hard episode for sure. Mental health is so difficult to deal with. And I'm curious, you know, uh, let me throw it your way and kind of just, what do you want to add to it? What do you want to talk about this morning? So I guess last week, I was, I think if I remember, I was talking up through the funeral, how everything was going. And I guess for this week, I want to start at the funeral uh, or right at the end of it. It's... For me, it was really amazing to me of how the funeral itself was a big turning point. Um, Erica and I spent the majority of the time the week leading up to the funeral in bed crying or wherever we were crying. And we we did what we had to do with going to the funeral home and making all the, the preparations and and we had some friends that came out to visit that helped a lot, as we've talked about in the past. But um, I didn't expect at the funeral when it ended, there was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And I'm really curious to hear from you, Chris, what you what happened with you, because um, the grief obviously didn't end, the pain didn't, and we were still crying like crazy for a long time but when that funeral ended and we went over to the reception hall to have the meal with our family and our closest friends I was just amazed at how much lighter everything felt at that moment and I don't know I don't know why I can't explain it other than I guess maybe just phase And I don't want to say phase one. I'm sure there were a million phases in that first week, week and a half. Uh, But whatever phase that was, it was a a major step that just really lightened the load. As soon as the funeral ended and we got through the receiving line talking to everybody, um, just one little baby step away from the, the, the deepest part of the valley. I don't know. What happened with you and your funeral, Chris? No, I think it it was opposite for me. I I didn't feel a lightened load. I actually felt heavier. Uh, I remember, well, Mason 
went to heaven during the height of COVID. COVID was only within its first couple of months of starting. So a lot of extra stresses put on us that we had to deal with, such as only 10 people allowed in the funeral home at the time. And um, so think about that. There's only 10 people allowed in the funeral home at the time. And there's five of us, me, Amanda, and the three other boys, right? <laughs> so luckily they weren't super strict about it. Um, you know, they were allowing more people in than, than the numbers stated, but that added an extra element of grief. Um, at his funeral, in terms of where he was buried at his burial site, uh, they set up the wrong, they set up the tent in the wrong plot. Someone else was being buried in the same cemetery and they set everything up in the wrong plot for ours. So the funeral director is in his suit and he's running back and forth trying to arrange everything, fix the tent, you know, it's not his fault. I'm not obviously mad at him, but, you know, add another extra layer of stress. Um, you know, that moment of, um, closing the casket, we couldn't do it. We weren't in there. Um, you know, we said our goodbyes the morning of, in fact, the morning of his funeral, Amanda, myself, and the boys went back to the funeral home, just us, one more time to say goodbye on our own. No one else was with us. And uh, we went in and we, we said our goodbyes and we couldn't we couldn't close the casket. We couldn't do it. Um, so we walked out and then, yeah, we followed, like, we carried them into the, the hearse and um, yeah. And then I think getting at the cemetery, <clears throat> myself, my dad, um, and some other family members all carried Mason. It wasn't even planned that way, but it, it worked out good. I'm, I'm glad it did. But, you know, it's just hard. I never thought I would be carrying my son's casket to his final resting spot, you know, and that, that was another little mental health thing that kind of played with me for a little while of, of having to do that. Um, we couldn't find a priest that was willing to come and do a ceremony for us because of COVID. <clears throat> to be honest, that kind of really messed with my 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 belief of what priests were. Um, you know, I think of priests a lot of times as I don't know. I'm, I'm big into history. I love history. I remember reading books about like spiritual leaders during World War II, right in the battlefield, saying prayers for these men as they're dying. You know. And here I have a priest, my son just died, and I can't find a priest that'll come out to my son's um, final resting spot. We're outside. We're not even inside. We're outside. And they're so afraid of COVID. And it just really soured my idea of what a priest was um, because they were so afraid to come out. We found one that was willing to come out, and, and you know I'm ever grateful that he was able to come out and do the final ceremony for us. And, um, yeah, I mean, it... it for me, the funeral day added more burden. It was more stress. It wasn't a final, like, uh, it didn't make me feel any better. There was no weight off my shoulders on that day, for sure. Yeah, I, um, I, as I was listening to you, I just, I forgot so many of the little details that you had shared before about how crazy that day was for you. So, yeah, um, it was crazy. It was a lot. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess, 
I love talking with you because, again, for everybody listening, I think this highlights just how different everybody's experience is with grief. Um, if you if you haven't learned that already, please hear that now for everybody grieving that there is no normal. Um, there's no normal emotional way to, to handle things, and there's no normal process and the way things are carried out for grief and funeral. Um because, I mean, just listening to Chris and me, our experiences were very different in that regard. Um, Chris, I want to ask you, because you were taught, again, listening to you made me think about the fact that um, we, we had just moved to Brevard seven months before Jameson passed, and we didn't, we didn't know many people. Uh, we basically knew the, the colleagues we had at each of our schools and the people at church, and they were all wonderful. Uh, but as I've shared before, right when Jameson passed, uh, Erica had two of her best friends came from Raleigh, which is about a five-hour drive to where we are now. So she had two of her best friends came, that came out right away, and they just spent a few days out there cleaning the house, cooking meals, doing all those things that were non-intrusive but extremely helpful to help us just be able to survive. And we're so thankful for that. And then the first weekend we had, um, I had five of my best guy friends come out and then there was another couple that came out that was friends with both of us. And they were, again, just very helpful, just trying to distract us from everything going on. And it meant a lot to us because these people drove five hours out of their way. And then when our funeral happened when I was walking around at the church. Uh, well, actually, before the church, we had um, the city of Brevard shut down the streets for us and let us have a procession. We had another friend from Raleigh worked with a guy who had a horse-drawn carriage, and he offered to bring his horses out and, and do a procession for Jameson through the town, which was super special for us. And I called the city... Uh, assistant chief of the police and he immediately when I mentioned he's like we'll shut the roads down and that just every piece of that was super special because people were stepping up to do things that they had the resources to do whether it was the time to come out and clean do our dishes the time to come out on a weekend uh, the wives that stayed home with their kids so that the guys could come out um, the horse-drawn carriage, people were using the resources that they had to support us. What, did you have anything like that? Because your family was all in Buffalo, you were in Idaho, you had a bunch of professional family up in Alaska, uh, so you were scattered, I mean, literally all over the country. Um, did you have anything like that that stands out where people did things and used their resources to help you and Amanda and your boys just survive yeah. every day? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first couple days, um, you know, my parents and Amanda's mom were in Idaho with us right after um, Mason went to heaven and they helped out however they could also dealing with their own grief as well and um you know family or my military family 
basically my, my coworkers from the fire department, they were amazing there. They, they did everything they could to help us while we were still in Idaho. When we left Idaho, we went back to New York to take Mason home. That's where we wanted him to be. That's where we maybe plan to be one day at the end when we're out of the military. And uh, it just felt right for him to be there. We couldn't leave him in Idaho. Um, you know, we couldn't put him in Alaska because who knows? We just, we don't know where we're going to be. I know if he's in Buffalo, buried there, that family can at least take care of his site while I'm gone. Um, and so, and then when we came to Buffalo, we ended up staying with Amanda's brother. Um, normally we stay with my parents, but with all the sadness going on, we thought maybe it'd be good for the boys to be around their cousins um and have you know somebody to play with and something to do distractors and it was you know they really they let us stay with them for three weeks we stayed in their house for three weeks so that was great um you know my parents helped out a lot uh, amanda's family helped out a lot so everyone was there for us i think the the hard part is when the three weeks were over and we had to go back to idaho and then that's where it kind of kicks in where you really are where we were alone you know, um, our neighbors did what they could. Uh, in fact, they did this awesome little ceremony for for Mason where they lit the, the, uh, the whole entire uh, street up with green lanterns to kind of like help remember Mason. And everybody in the street came and they did a little, um, well, just a little ceremony to remember him. And uh, that really made us feel great too. And uh, yeah, after that, I mean, life has to go on for people. Like we said, you know, it's not that people didn't keep checking on us and just saying, hey, what do you need? But people got to get back to their, they got things to do. They got kids, they got their own life, their own jobs. Um, so it was definitely harder. And then uh, the Air Force has where we could move wherever we needed to in times of distress. And death of a child is one of those times of distress where the Air Force will approve a removal wherever you would like to go. So we requested to move to Delaware, thinking it would be better in terms of getting back to Buffalo easily. And uh, that was approved, and we moved probably, let's see, Mason passed in May, and by August we were in Delaware. Um, so it was a pretty fast process. And um, But once we got to Delaware, except for being able to get back to Buffalo pretty often, it maybe wasn't the best choice. Now, I, I firmly believe God has a plan. And, uh, you know, maybe I don't understand that plan right now. Some things here in Delaware were more difficult than they probably had to be. Um, because think about it. I had to start work at a new place, learn new people, learn some new jobs. Um, kids had to meet new people, new schools, new house, new everything. Moving as hard as it is, and we get it because we've moved eight times in the military. Um, so every time we move, it is a stressful time. You, I don't, you know, I don't want to take anything back now, but maybe was that the best time for us to move um, because Mason had passed? I don't know. It has its ups, it's had its downs. Um, just extra stress. Other things that we probably didn't think about we'd have to deal with um, that we did so yeah uh, you know yeah I remember you agonizing over parts of that decision so, yes um, so 
How was your... I don't remember if you've ever... If we've ever talked about you and suicidal thoughts. Because um, I know, again, immediately after Jameson passed, Eric and I both had those thoughts that, God, man, it would be so easy to just kill ourselves. And we... And I've shared this before, but we, we quickly blew those aside in the fact that nobody needs to worry about us being suicidal. We're not. Um, as I've said, we're, we are anxiously hoping that Jesus comes right, mom- right this moment and interrupts this podcast right now to just take us away. We'd be okay with that, but we're not going to do it ourselves. Um, but... Again, everybody for us that used those resources that they had at the funeral and for the time after it helped ease our thoughts of suicide. And listening to you talk about your neighbors that did the Green Lanterns for you and stuff, did you did you have suicidal thoughts around that time? And do you can you? talk about anything somebody did that maybe eased those thoughts for you because I want I want people who are grieving who are who are at the the first few weeks sure. of starting this journey to hear clearly again that there are some paths forward and I want anybody that's listening who isn't going through grief to hear again of how vitally important you can play a role in literally saving a life sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say that I am one of the lucky, I don't want to say lucky, but I, I never had any suicidal thoughts. Not, not once. Um, I think I thought the same thing as you, like, um, it would be nice to just get up there with Mason, but at the same sense, I never thought like I should take my life so I can be with him. I never, I never had that thought one time. Um, now I will say that my thoughts of death have changed. I definitely don't have, you know, everyone has that fear of of the unknown, um, but I just don't have it like I used to. I I'm not afraid. When my time comes, it'll be my time, and I'll be ready. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I'm living the best life I can, trying to be the best person I can, to make sure that I can see my son when I get up there. And that's all I can really do. You know, at the end of the day, I, I don't know what happens. None of us do. Um, but yeah, in terms of mental health and suicide, I, I never had those feelings. I never had those emotions. Um, even in my deepest of depressions, I never, I never did. And I think a couple of things that helped me were um, things that, you know, a lot of times I think we've talked about before in the past, like, Things that kind of help you get over those feelings of suicide are, and it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be difficult. But, you know, that idea of helping other people, you know, that was one of the things I want to do right away. Like, okay, Mason went to heaven because of ADEM. I need to help other people going through ADEM. I need to help them find a cure. I need to help them, um, you know, with everything I can. So that was one of my first thoughts. And then, uh, you know, doing this podcast with you, Dan, and um, talking to people and getting um, mental health awareness out there. And so all those things motivated me to want to stay here. And then talking to to other dads, talking to dads like Dennis, who have lived long, happy lives after losing their sons very early. And um, 
you know, having grandkids and having experiences and experiences with their spouse. And, you know, I want all that. I, I still want all that. So it, it motivates me enough where I don't think about suicide. Uh, it just keeps me motivated. Um, what about you? What, what, how did it work out for you in your sense with suicide? I know you talked a little bit about that. You had some thoughts of it. Um, but once you get in the details of it. Yeah, and I don't really know that I have a whole lot more to share because, yeah, we did. We thought about it. We mentioned it to each other, and then we we did. We were able to quickly dismiss any thoughts really about it. Um, it never – I don't think it ever even took one step closer to, yeah, maybe this is a way out. I think like what you just talked about, I think helped me a lot too. Jameson's joy formed super quickly. It formed the day of Jameson's service, as I've shared before. And that was a huge positive. And again, I think I use that word lightly. Um, it was a huge positive to help shift our focus as much as we possibly can from the grief and learning to live our new life without Jameson, without Mason, too. They're gone. There's no way that they're ever going to return in this life to Earth with us. But what can we do to try to find some positive out of this experience that we're in? And so that's where I was with Jameson's Joy. And I know that's where you were with Mason, as you just shared, of just... There are people hurting everywhere, and we are, sadly, we are uniquely trained now for a very specific area that people need a lot of help with. So what, again, I have resources, I have skills, I have a voice, um, I have enough strength to do everything that we're trying to do with Jameson's Joy. And, and try to help people where they are in their life. And it it doesn't cure anything. It doesn't bring Jameson back. It doesn't remove the grief, but it, it does at least distract me from the grief that I'm having on a daily basis. And again, it's other people. Every time, as I've shared before, every time somebody wears a T-shirt or mentions Jameson's name or joins us at an event or whatever it is, you're telling me that you care. And that's one of the biggest things possible with people's mental health is knowing that somebody cares about them. And when we're not getting that feedback, either on a personal level or through Jameson's Joy, it hurts and we drop into some very ugly places that are hard to see a way to get out of. Uh, but when people are, you do, when you come up and share a memory of Jameson, you lift us for that temporary time. You lift us so high out of our valley that for a minute of our day, we're not buried in the deepest valley. And it means a lot. So just imagine if, if, for those of you who aren't grieving, but you're, you know somebody who is, just imagine that, yeah, if you, when you see somebody in the morning, if you just spend a minute of your time talking about Mason, talking about Jameson, 
And then somebody else in, in the hallway of my school stops and says, hey, I was remembering Jameson. And just throughout the day, 20 or 30 different people mention Jameson in a memory that they have about him. Imagine what that does to our mental health and how much that can literally carry us through our day and, and help overcome the moments that we're really struggling um, so I think that that's a big deal for us, uh, that I don't know that it helped us pass the suicidal thoughts. Cause again, we were able to dismiss those pretty quickly as it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but we were still grieving. And even though, as I shared, I had that weight lifted off my shoulders for the funeral, it didn't remove the grief and the pain and the agony and all that. It, it by no means made everything better. It was just one of the infinite number of weights that was crushing me happened to be removed. So having those people was very helpful. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to think, like, look, grief is a long haul. It is not going to be something that, in terms of mental health, you're going to get over in a week or a month or even a year. Uh, you know, here, Dan is in his third year you know working towards the fourth now and i'm getting really close to our second anniversary um i can't believe it's been almost two years to be honest it's it's shocking to me um at the same sense you know if if you are one of those people that like dan said aren't dealing with grief understand that people that are dealing with grief it is a long haul it is not something that'll probably ever go away the best way i explain it is is we just learn to deal with the grief in a better way. Like we, we, we are crying all day long. Uh, we're not talking about our loved one 24 seven. And, and for me, at least I'm not thinking about Mason 24 seven. Cause that first year I really was, I thought about Mason all the time. His, his never left my mind. And it affected everything. It affected my work. It affected, um, you know, everything affected my health, my weight. I gained a lot of weight after Mason passed, um, probably like 40 pounds at least. And I'm working on getting that off now. It doesn't come off easily. It, it takes time. But, you know, you get in these these bad routines really easily and getting yourself out of them can, can be a challenge for sure. So just if, if you know someone that's going through grief, understand it's a long haul and be as supportive as you can to help them through, through that long haul. Um, you know, that's, I, I think that's where I've been able to be in terms of people have helped me um, get to the point where I am at now and really talking about it, right? Dan and I talk every single week about Mason and Jameson. And I know when we first started, Dan, we were, we were crying pretty often. We could barely get the stories out. And here we are now, you know, we're, we're able to talk about the stories um, in a clear mind. Um, I think by doing it, I think of new details that I hadn't thought about before. Um, it kind of just opens up my memory a little easier. And uh, it, it, it just helps you get through the day. I don't know if it helps you the same way, Dan. But Yeah, I think we definitely, for me, having just crossed the third anniversary Erica and I are used to our new normal. Um, we still hate it. It still hurts. But yeah, we're we're used to the fact that Jameson is no longer in this house physically. And that's 
the hand that we've been dealt. Um, I agree with Chris. Yeah, I don't I don't think about Jameson all day every day anymore. Uh, that's something I'm sure we'll talk about in one of the next few episodes because that's a whole. There's so many layers of mental health because I still, if I have a day that I am kind of winding down, brushing teeth, going going to bed, and I have a moment of, oh my God, I didn't think of Jameson once today. That. Sh- it sounds like it should be a, a, a good thing in the sense that, man, I wasn't sad at all today about Jameson. And then immediate which, good, I'm growing, I'm healing, I'm making progress. And then all of a sudden, it flips completely to the, oh my God, I didn't even think about my son today. What kind of loser dad am I? Uh, so that's something I want to dive into in one of the com- coming weeks. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great episode that we definitely need to discuss because... You're 100% right. There is some really weird feelings you get. Um, and yeah, so definitely something we need to talk about in that sense. Yeah. Now, Dan, I know we talked last week. If you want to talk about it, you can. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But in terms of mental health, those first couple of weeks, we have some pretty um, intense thoughts, I guess is the good, best way to put about yeah. it, of um, some very gruesome things that, you know, I don't know how comfortable you feel talking about it. I I feel comfortable. I'll talk about it if you want. Um, but if you want to throw out there kind of how you felt, some of the, the horrible things you think. Um, yeah. It's just natural. Your body does it. You don't know why it happens. Um, but if you want to get into that, yeah. by all means, the floor is yours. And I guess to do this, I'll back up again to before the funeral. I know this, we're kind of jumping time Timeline-wise, jumping all over the place, but that's okay. Um, There are, yeah, there's just an absurd number of thoughts that have crossed my mind the last three years. And um, the the first couple were, I think it was the first time I met the funeral director. Uh, Erica and I had gone over and made all the preparations for the service and all that. But then I knew it's it's hard to sit in a room in a building knowing that your son is laying dead just 20 feet away in a different room. And in our case, as I've shared before, we Jameson had been sent away for an autopsy. And... So I know I knew that his body was not in a, a great condition. And then, but at the same time, and Erica and I actually disagreed on this, I wanted every single second I could have with Jameson before what we knew was, was coming because that was the day we decided to have him cremated. And I, I think I knew that immediately the morning that we left the hospital that I wanted him cremated so we could have him in our house with us. And Erica, Erica wasn't sure until we were sitting in the room making all the arrangements. And that's when I kind of laid out my thoughts and she laid out her thoughts. And then we, we made the decision together that cremation was the way we wanted to go. Um, I guess some of the milder 
thoughts that you do have to go through when you're grieving. This is nowhere close to the thoughts that Chris and I have been mentioning the la last weekend just to lead this part off. But, um, I mean, it's hard to sit there and think, do you want to have your kid cremated or not? Because as I shared in one of the, I think one of our very first episodes ever, uh, there we live in a Sue happy society. And when, when you're sitting in the funeral home talking about cremation and you make that decision, that's when the funeral director has to pull out a different stack of papers. And it's all the legal stuff. And our funeral director was absolutely amazing. He was so kind-hearted and gentle and caring. Um, we could not have asked for a better man to operate and and just make sure everything went without a hitch. And his face when he grabbed that paper was, I mean, you could tell that he, that was the moment he hate he hates his job all the time for what it is, but he really hated this because uh, the paper was all the legal mumbo-jumbo explaining the process of cremation and what the temperatures are that the fire has to be at for cremation to happen and what happens to the body, the actual process when the body is on fire and burning into the ashes. They This paper goes through everything so that the funeral home is covered and you sign it at the end, obviously, saying, yes, I was made aware of what this process was so that you can't go back later on and say, I can't believe you did that to my son. And that, those, those thoughts are just absolutely horrifying that, yeah, I'm going to subject my son to this. And we still, we were still very comfortable with our decision. Like, I didn't have any doubt about it. For me, it was the right decision because, again, I've, I've got Jameson in the house with me at least. I can, it helps me talk to him and just feel his presence a little bit, knowing that he's in the house with us. Um, Eric and I had struggled with where do we bury Jameson because he was born in Raleigh and we'd only been here for seven months. So kind of similar to Chris in that way of where do you bury Jameson? And we, we took that all out. But those thoughts of the process of cremation were absolutely horrifying. And I remember at the funeral after everything had happened and the room got quiet as the men came up to take Jameson away, that was that was one of the million hardest moments because I knew that they were wheeling him away and I knew that that was truly the finality of it. I had been able to spend time with Jameson all week at the home and talk to him and see his body, but I knew that when they wheeled him out of that room, I would literally never see his body again. And also I knew what was coming. This was a Friday afternoon and I knew what was coming Monday morning. And, and that was it. So that was horrifying. Um, but also, and I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but going back to the condition of the body, when I talked to the funeral home director, I just, I just wanted to see my boy. I hadn't seen him for, I think it had been literally a day. It may have been two days. And I hadn't seen his body. 
and I just wanted to see him. So I was sitting in the funeral home direct, director's office, literally begging him to take me back into that room so I could see his body. And the director was, again, he was fantastic. And he just, he's like, no, I please. I'm he didn't tell me no, but he begged me not to because at that point he hadn't been able to do his job with the makeup. And he knew from his experience the reactions people are going to have when, when you see your son's head cut open and you see his chest cut open. And I don't know what kind of indentations may have been there. Or the rib cage, was it, do they have to break all the rib bones to get to the organs? I don't, I don't know. Um, at that point, we didn't know what had taken Jameson, but were his intestines in there, which were what killed him, uh, were they still in there or had they been removed? And do, does the the uh, medical examiner just throw all that stuff in the trash? I mean, what happens to all the organs when they can't be harvested? Uh, just a lot of sick thoughts I was running through my mind of, I don't, I don't care what I see. I want to go see my boy. And... In hindsight, yeah, I'm very thankful to the funeral director that he didn't take me back there. Um, I don't know how I would have reacted, but I'm glad I didn't. I guess I'm, I'm glad I didn't uh, create the opportunity to find out if it would have traumatized me anymore. Because would that, would that creep haunt me for the rest of my life? Because that would have been one of the last images I have ingrained in my mind of Jameson or am I am I so lucky that the last images I have are him in his casket with the makeup on wearing his suit just looking so peaceful so I guess that was the first round of super sick thoughts everything with the autopsy and just the condition of his body um and then leading up to the, the cremation. Sure, yeah. I mean, those are <clears throat> extremely difficult thoughts to have and not natural for any parent to have to go through. I, I had some similar things specifically with, uh, you know, we decided not to go with cremation and to have Mason buried. And the difficult part was, you know, thinking of your son underground, really. I think that was the hard part for me especially the first couple days after Mason had been buried and I visited him, you know, knowing that he's, he's underground there. And, you know, as the first year goes on and you start thinking, you know, it's natural, it's going to happen. Your son's body is going to start to decompose and he's not going to look the same way that I'm ever going to remember. Because to be honest, when you're a dad and you visit your son, your little seven-year-old at the cemetery, you just want to dig them up and hold them. It's mm -hmm. weird, but that's what you want to do. And uh, every time I go to the cemetery, um, I lay down on the ground right next to him. And it's like I have this, uh, it's like I can feel this energy flowing through the ground. I know it's, I know it's his body, not his soul, um, but there's still something about you know, that that's my little guy down there. And it's, 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 
that thought of him decomposing is probably those sick thoughts that I, I have gotten in the past for sure. I don't think about it as much anymore, but they were pretty strong those first couple months after he was buried. Uh, you know, it's, it's natural. It's going to happen. And it's, those are, those are hard thoughts that you have to deal with mentally in terms of mental health, uh, when those first couple weeks and months going forward. So, yeah. And I, I remember I had the exact same thoughts and that's, that's what one of the many factors that helped push me toward I want him cremated because, yeah, if his body's yeah. going to rot and deco decompose anyways, why don't I have him in my house? Yeah, and we definitely debated that. We did think about that. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what made us think, decide to go the route we did. It's all That's all kind of a blur, to be honest with you. I can't I, – I remember a lot of very specific things, but for some reason – um, I can't, I can't think of why we, we went this route, but I'm still glad we did. You know, yeah. it, it's for us. That's what we needed. I don't know if we could have Mason's ashes in the house with us personally. I, right. I think it'd be even harder. So in the sense, I think sometimes Dan, you have it harder than us in that sense, because you, you see his urn every day and you know, it does make you think of it. Uh, I think there's positives and negatives to both, you know? Um, you can visit your son whenever you want and I can't. So there's, there's that aspect too. So, um, and there, you have to do what's best for you and your family's mental health at right. the end. And I think that's what Dan and I are both trying to say. There's multiple avenues you can, you can go and you have to discuss with your family what's the best route. Yeah. And yeah. And every ounce of it again, for people who are just starting this journey, it's normal. You are normal with whatever whatever is going on in your mind. It is normal. Um, it may not be common if you if you talk to five people close to you who have experienced grief. None of them may have the same experience. So it's it's not something that that it's easy to identify other people who have gone through the same thing because none of us have. We've all gone through similar parts of similar things, but everybody is different and you hear us clearly that chris and i are saying that you are normal whatever it is um trust us as as we dive deeper into these sick thoughts episodes uh, trust us that you're normal uh, i can't say that enough yeah. all right dan anything else you think of yeah, I just had something and I just totally forgot it though. So um, <laughs> it'll come back. Oh, I was thinking too, listening to you talk to about Erica, um, and again, just our process was uh, she she didn't want to be at the funeral home at all because she didn't want her last image of Jameson being in the coffin, and uh, so even Erica and I were different on that. She she came once or twice through the week, I, I went every day because I just wanted every second I could have with my boy. And um, so we were different on that in that sense. Um, yeah. Again, I, I want to say it because I know one of the la the next to last thing we did with Jameson before we closed the lid was have a friend take some pictures. And that Again, this is nowhere close to the sickest of the thoughts that I've had, 
but I felt really weird, even though I knew I was going to do it. I wanted it. I wanted pictures of er Erica and Jameson and I together one last time. I wanted pictures of my hand on his heart. And so we asked a friend in the funeral home at his viewing to take a few pictures. And I don't know, I just, that's not a normal thought that people have. But I still, I still look at those pictures. I have them on my phone with, with every picture of, that I have in my phone of Jameson living life that we all take a million of daily. Um, I have right there with him the pictures of us putting our hand on Jameson's head, giving him kisses in the coffin. And that's, I still, as I talk about that, think that sounds really weird and gruesome and creepy and all that, but it it gives me comfort. I just, for whatever reason, I needed those pictures. Yeah, we... we um... We have those pictures too. We only have pictures of Mason in the coffin. We didn't take pictures together with him. Um, Amanda did it. This is what kind of sucks though. Amanda did it. And then um, a couple months later, something corrupted her, uh, her memory card and we lost those pictures. We took it in to some, some computer places trying to get the pictures recovered. No luck, no avail. Um, couldn't get them recovered. So but we definitely took those pictures. Um, I wish I would have had her send them to me. Uh, definitely a regret I have often now. Um, you're right. It's it's a weird comfort. Um, but I, I remember, you know, looking at those pictures on Amanda's phone a couple times. Um, like you said, it's, it's so weird touching your son's arm or rubbing his head while he's in the casket. All those things you would think would be very morbid or anything like that. But when it's your child laying there, it's not, it's different. I, I could have picked him up right there and mm -hmm. just held him if I was allowed to. Um, so, yeah. you know, those are struggles you're going to deal with if, if you're early out going through grief for sure. Yeah. And I agree with you completely, Chris, what you do at the gravesite and what you just said is like, I too, I just, if I could hold Jameson's body again, it doesn't matter that it's lifeless. Yeah. Um, it's something that people need to understand that if your kids are alive, you can go hug your kid right now. We can't. And we would give anything to even their lifeless body. We would give anything to be able to hold them again and hug them and kiss them and tell them that we love yep. them. So. Yep. So if you're listening and you have your loved ones with you, love every second of it. Yeah. Even if you're having a bad day, go give them a hug. Go give them a kiss. Go yeah. tell them you love them. Because in that one quick second, it could change without you having that chance. Yeah. And uh, I can't, unfortunately, remember the last time I told Mason I loved him where he was still awake. And he said it back to me. Um, but... Man, I wish I could remember that moment. You yeah. take those moments for granted as time goes on and you don't realize these bad things can possibly happen. Um, yeah. So I make sure now every day to, to hug all my other boys and kiss them and tell them I love them every single day just because you never know. Yeah. So. And I try I try to replay every night, uh, Jameson, my last words were, 
Um, I'd say goodnight to him, and then he'd say in his little squeaky voice, Good night, Daddy. I love you. And I I repeat that to myself every almost every day, just trying to I I'm scared to lose his voice. Um yeah. that memory of his voice. Do you uh do you have some videos of Jameson with his voice? Yep, yeah, and I need to uh it it's weird how I haven't made the time to go watch him, but yeah, I have like fifteen different CDs of him growing up and yeah, one of these days, just gonna sit down and have that ugly cry week, yeah. and and watch all the videos. Uh, and then I do Facebook. It's one of the good things about Facebook memories. It pops up day almost daily. There's there's something, and I I actually shared yesterday's video with my kids because it was uh, Jameson when he was two years old. He was working in the the yard with Erica at our house in Fuquay. And uh, Erica was teaching him about the bad dirt and the good dirt as they were planting plants and and doing bugs. And he just had his sweet little voice. And, uh, yeah, every chance we get to to watch those videos and hear our boys, I take advantage of it. Yeah, I do too. Same exact thing. I agree. Those, Those memories on social media help out a lot. And uh, we have one video that's in my phone. That's about two days before Mason passed. Uh, if you watch the video, you would have no clue that he was as sick as he was. Right. And, uh, you know, and that's why I think it's so hard for us as parents. Because uh, he legit was acting completely normal. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. So uh, it, it, can, it can flip in a matter of moments like it did for us. And so I watch that video every couple months um, because it's hard. You do start to forget the way their voice sounds. And it's, it's such a, it's such a cruddy feeling to be honest that, that you, you forget what your son sounds like. So I have to watch that video to remember his voice. Um, you know, my wife, I've mentioned before that her sister passed when she was a teenager or when she was, I I think 12, 12 or 13. That's when uh, Amanda's sister passed. And I asked her before, I was like, do you even remember what um, your sister's voice sounds like? And she says, no, I can't. I don't I don't remember at all what her voice sounds like. So I don't want that for us. So I'm glad we have those videos of Mason and we watch them often. Yep. I guess I want to end with just to people who are not grieving, uh, to the parents who are fortunate to have your kids at home, um, as Chris just highlighted, and we've said it before, uh, it drives Erica and I crazy anytime now that we, and we're, we're guilty. We did the same thing. Uh, so we're not judging, but just to think about the things that come out of our mouths as human beings of, um, every parent has said, God, I wish you would just go away to my kids. I wish I could have a break from my kids or I, I'm so glad that my kids kid is at camp for the week or whatever so that I can have peace and quiet and anything related to that like we get it we did the same thing and now oh my god do we wish our kid was at camp yep we would give anything for Jameson to be at camp for a week as 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 hard as parenting is at times god you're, we're so lucky to be parents with our kids here on earth still with us. Yeah. 
I know I mentioned before that one of the biggest regrets I have is one of Mason's last days is he wanted a piggyback ride. And I was just so exhausted that day. I said, not tonight, buddy. I'm just not feeling it. And uh, boy, do I regret that. I, I think about it often. So now whenever my little guy Carson asks for one, I give him one like every single day now pretty much because of it. Um, it's those tiny little memories that you don't think matter, but they really make the biggest difference in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's then yeah. that's again we've shared before. That's where the say yes part of Jameson's joy came out because I had the exact same situation with Jameson. He passed on a Wednesday, but the Sunday we were gonna go for a bike ride down the greenway here and it was a little bit rainy and I was tired and I did everything I can could to get Jameson to say, No, let's not go, let's not go. I just didn't want to go. And he begged me and we went. And we rode through the woods, and we were we had that strip of mud going up our backs from the tire splashing. And Jameson loved it. He was giggling the whole time. And then Wednesday happened. And, yeah, thank God for me, I have the memory of saying yes. And I can imagine how haunting it is sometimes, Chris, for you to... Um, and I'm sorry that you have that memory. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. You know, it's, uh, I have thousands of great memories with Mason. So it's not, it's just one of those little tiny, one of those kind of like a, a little pinch, you know, kind of hurts as yeah. I think about it every now and then. It's, a, it's an annoying pinch that just a minor regret I have. Nothing major, I'm sure, in heaven, Mason's not like, yeah. Gosh, Dad, I can't believe you gave me that last piggyback ride, but it's something that every now and then kind of eats me up a little bit. So, yeah. But, all right, brother, anything else? I, I think that's it for today. I think so, too. I think it was a great episode. Um, great kind of getting our ideas out there, and hopefully, if you're listening, you got some 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 great tips and ideas of how to help others that are going through grief or um, how to help yourself if you're dealing with grief and understand that you're not alone in this this journey of of grief and moving forward so with that thank you again to wmql radio and bavard for uh, airing this episode and getting our voices out there uh, we're on social media if you need anything you can always look up dan or myself um, Chris at milesformasonmemorial.com if you need to email me uh, info at jamesonsjoy.org if you need to get a hold of Dan and uh, we're, we're there to help however we can so uh, with that Dan anything else? That's it thank you all for listening we appreciate it thanks everyone have a great night